0: Good afternoon, Redeemer Church. My name is Dave Firm, and I serve as one of the elders of our church. And before we jump into that lovely word that Jasmine just read for us, I just want to give us one brief update. Uh, it's good news. We've been invited by the authorities in Dubai to apply for permission uh, to meet again in a hotel in Dubai. And so we're thankful for that. It's obviously welcome news. Uh, We praise God for that. It'll likely take at least a month from now before those permissions uh, come through, uh, if they come through, and we have no idea what the details will be uh, or what the requirements will be to attend. We have no other details, but it is good news uh, that they've invited us uh, to apply, and so we do praise God for that, and we do hope that we could be reunited together as a church in Dubai in the not so distant future. And so we want to pray for that. We also are thankful for the authorities in working hard to keep us safe over this past year and a half. And uh, we want to go to the Lord in prayer, even now. So before we jump in the word, let's pray for this. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you for this privilege of gathering together today. Uh, We praise you for uniting us as one people in Christ Jesus, the Lamb of God. Oh, Father, you know that we yearn to be back meeting in Dubai, and we ask that you would allow us the privilege of gathering back there. We thank you for the generosity of the rulers and how they've been so kind to us over the years. We continue to ask that you would bless them and give them wisdom on how to lead in these times. And would these permissions come through in the next month? Oh, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen if you haven't already opened your Bibles, please open up to John chapter 1. We're going to finish off the first chapter of John's gospel today. We're going to look at verses 35 on through verse 51. We'll show a few verses up on the screen, but you'll really want to have your own Bible uh, open in front of you so you can follow along. In this passage, we see the account of how Jesus calls his first disciples. And this passage really takes place in just two days. Verse 35, again the next day. Then down in verse 43, you see again another time marker, the next day. We have two days. We have two scenes. And in these two scenes, we have Jesus call his first five disciples. On the first day, Andrew, John, and Peter. And on the second, Philip and Nathanael. And in these two scenes, we're going to see three realities, three realities that will serve as our outline today. So if you're taking notes, number one, we'll see a Savior calls, number two, a sinner follows, and number three, a saint proclaims. A Savior calls, a sinner follows, and a saint proclaims proclaims. Now since these scenes parallel each other in many ways, we we won't necessarily be going verse by verse through all 17 verses. We'll be jumping around a little bit between the two scenes. But point number one, first we'll see a Savior calls. So back up to verse 35. It was the next day, and John, this is John the Baptist. We'll notice that John the Apostle, the author of the book, never names himself. And so whenever the author here refers to John, he's referring to John the Baptist. Here John the Baptist is standing with two of his disciples, and Jesus comes by, and John shouts out, Behold, the Lamb of God. And just like that, the two disciples of John hear this, and they begin to follow Jesus. We see in verse 40 that one of the disciples was Andrew. And it's interesting that he's presented with the clarifier. This is Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. That's likely because by the time this gospel was written towards the end of the first century, Peter was far more well known than Andrew was at the time. It's assumed here that the other disciple is John himself. Because he doesn't give us a name. We don't know for sure, but it's likely that this is Andrew and that this is John, the, the author of the gospel, now following Jesus. In verse 38 and 39, Jesus asks them, What are you seeking? Basically, men, what would you like from me? They call him Rabbi, which means teacher, literally, my great one. It was a common address from a student to a teacher. And, and they ask him where he was staying. This is a little bit funny because verse 39 tells us it was only the 10th hour. That's 4 p.m. in the afternoon. By asking this, they're basically saying, Jesus, Jesus, can we just follow you around for the day? Can we just be with you? Can we pretty much just piggyback on your evening plans? Just crash whatever you're doing. Jesus tells them in verse 39, come. Come. Come and you will see. Beautiful words. The the invitation of Jesus. This is a Savior who calls. This is the Savior who invites. He does the same thing in the second scene. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now the Savior calls Philip and immediately Philip follows. And he talks to his friend Nathaniel. Nathanael is referred to as Bartholomew in the other Gospels. That was his family name. Bar means son of. He is Nathanael, son of Tholomew. He comes from Cana, which is another small village in Galilee. Now, Nathanael hadn't heard about Jesus, but he knew the Old Testament Scriptures. He knows the Bethlehem. Would have been the birthplace of the Savior, not Nazareth. Though in Jesus' case, we know he was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised and brought up in Nazareth, and so he can be Jesus the Nazarene. Nazareth was a nothing place, it was the middle of nowhere, it was a backwards country, it was small, it was insignificant. Besides, Nathaniel uh, was from Cana, just six kilometers away. Perhaps the two towns had a bit of, bit of a rivalry between one another. It seems that even fellow Galileans despised Nazareth. I mean, can can anything good come out of Nazareth? When well, a world that would say God would never go to Nazareth and that God could never come out of Nazareth, he did. I mean, you'd expect him to to come to Rome. You'd expect him to come out of Rome. But Jesus didn't come as a general. He didn't come as a member of a religious party. He came as a carpenter. He didn't come from a successful family, but a poor one. He wasn't born on a bed at the Holiday Inn, but in a manger. And when his parents brought him to be circumcised, their offering... It was two pigeons. It was the offering of the poorest of the poor. He was part of a poor family in a backwards town in the middle of nowhere. Those in Rome would have thought Jerusalem was a nothing town. Those in Jerusalem would have thought that Galilee was a nothing place. And in Galilee, well, Nazareth was at the bottom of the Israelite town rankings. Lonely Planet uh, wouldn't have listed it on its tourist sites. This was the low of the low. Everything about Jesus in terms of the world was nothing. He was a nothing man born of nothing parents in a nothing town from a nothing region. There was nothing impressive about Jesus. He came in weakness and he died in weakness. But friends, God loves to work in ways that turn the world's expectations upside down. 1 Corinthians 1, 27-29 says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and what is despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now, weakness, friends, is always the way. Weakness is the way so that the spotlight and the glory could come to Christ. Now, we see this displayed in the incarnation and life of Christ, and then later on in the death of Christ. That's what John the Baptist shouts out in the beginning of our passage. Now, a lamb, the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Well, a lamb isn't known for its strength. No, here a lamb was known for its death. They were slaughtered for sacrifice, helpless animals. Now, our Savior would not come to win a military victory, but to die for his people. And yet, all was not what it seemed. The Lamb of God, this Nazarene, was the very Son of God, was in the exact nature of God, was God himself, was God in the flesh. He was all-powerful and all-knowing. The Savior who comes in weakness would also display his strength in his own timing. Look at what Jesus says to Nathanael. Look at verses 47 through 49. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi! You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, this is amazing. I love this conversation between Jesus and Nathanael. Jesus is omniscient. Jesus knows everything. He sees Nathanael on the inside and he sees Nathanael on the outside. He tells Nathanael, hey, I know you. I know your heart. There's no deceit in you. Now, this isn't saying that Nathanael was without sin. This isn't saying that Nathanael is a follower yet, but that he's an honest man. He's a man of integrity. Nathanael's immediate response when Jesus says just that is, how do you know me? How do you know my heart? Now, Jesus hits the nail on the head. Nathaniel can tell that Jesus knows exactly who he is. Jesus knows him on the inside. He knows his heart, but he also knows him on the outside. Verse 48, he says, I saw you there under the fig tree. I know who you are, and I know where you were. Now, we don't know what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree. We have no clue. Perhaps he had some type of experience that no one knew about besides Jesus. Redeemer Church, Jesus came to us in weakness as a human being, but he was also divine. Who's also all-powerful and all-knowing. The Savior who calls sees you. The Savior who calls knows you. He sees your life, and he understands your trials. Now, some of you are at, at home even right now. Some of you struggling with COVID. I know some of our members, even in the hospital, Oh, friend, Jesus knows. He understands. Others of us are mourning the death of loved ones. Some of us separated from family that we so desperately want to get back in touch with. Jesus knows. Those of you in chronic pain, those of you struggling with depression or facing injustice, those of you having struggles within your own family, Jesus knows. Jesus knows where you are and Jesus knows who you are. And kids, tweens. Teens, I see so many of you here today, and we're so glad that you're here as we worship together. Jesus knows you, too. Jesus knows where you are. Jesus knows who you are. Jesus knows what you're going through, and I don't know what you're going through. Maybe something here towards the end of the school year, something with friends. I don't know what your issues are, but children, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. He knows and He cares. He sees you on the outside and He sees you and knows you on the inside. He knows our circumstances and He knows our hearts. Now friends, this is our God, our Savior who came in weakness in a manger will display His power on the cross and in the resurrection. It's a Savior who calls out to all of us today. But when He calls... We must follow. And that's the second point of our text today. Number two, a sinner follows. A Savior calls. A sinner follows. In both instances, here in the two scenes, Jesus calls out. And then what happens? Well, the the men, they follow. Verse 39, he tells Andrew and John to come, and they will see, and they go. And then he finds Philip in verse 43, and he says, follow me, and he goes. Now, the idea of following, though, we need to understand here, wasn't just to follow Jesus on a hike or on a day trip or with short-term implications, or just to hang out for the night. Jesus makes this statement 20 times here in the Gospels, and it's a present continuous action. It's not just a call to follow right now or a call to follow today. It's a call to follow and to keep following, It's a call to stay with Jesus indefinitely, to come and be with Him. Now, to follow here is a strong command. It means to make Jesus your highest priority. It means to make Jesus first in your life. To follow means to leave everything behind, to be willing to leave everything behind for the sake of Christ. It means you'll you'll leave your home if needed. It means your relationships will change. Your job may change. Everything might change. Jesus has to be number one in your life. That's what it means to follow him. I mean, think about the fishermen just for a minute. Think about what it would have meant for these fishermen to cast their nets and to leave their nets aside. I mean, that's all they had ever done. That was their livelihood. That was their family business. That's how they helped their parents provide for their family. That was their hometown. That's where they grew up. That's all that they knew. They left their jobs. They left their parents. They left their livelihood. They left their their, their upbringing in their town. And Nathaniel, we don't know what Nathaniel's job was, but we see Nathaniel follows as well. Jesus tells him, I know you on the inside. I know you on the outside. And Nathanael there bursts out, right? Bursts out with that statement. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel, verse 49. And Jesus says, oh, 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 Nathanael. Oh, Nathanael. Is it really because I can see you on the inside and I can see you on the outside that you believe that you follow me? Well, guess What? Guess what, Nathaniel? Verse 50 and verse 51, Jesus answered him and said, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? <laughs> oh, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Oh, this is nothing, Nathaniel. This is nothing. Now, whenever Jesus says truly, truly, that's a, that's, a, <laughs> that's a big deal. Jesus says it about 25 times in the Gospel of John. It refers to something truthful, something unbelievably wonderful. It literally means amen, amen, or verily, verily, truly, truly, with full authority. This is absolutely important and absolutely the truth. Jesus says, you think it's a big deal that I know what you were thinking? You think it's a big deal that I'm a mind reader? You think it's a big deal that I could see that you were under that fig tree? Well, Nathaniel, if you follow me, greater things are going to happen than these. Something so much bigger is going to happen. You're going to see the heavens open up. You're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this is an unbelievable statement. Now, when Jesus says this, he's referring to Jacob's ladder back in the book of Genesis. Did any of you talk about this this past week in your community groups? Hope this came up in some of your studies this week as you looked at this passage, because that's what Jesus is referring to here in the last verses in John. He's pointing back to Genesis. I believe it's chapter 28. You might remember Jacob was fleeing from his brother Esau. He's on the run for his life because Jacob had just tricked Esau of his birthright. He had just tricked him of it. He had stolen it. Jacob's running for his life. Jacob's in despair. Jacob thinks he's about to die. He's running and on the run he stops and he takes a a, a nap. He takes a sleep on a stone. He must have been really tired and exhausted to be able to sleep on a rock, but he does. And he seems to get enough rest on that rock in order to have a dream. And it's there, he has this dream. He's all alone on the run for his life. He's, he's without any hope. But in the dream, he sees a ladder. And he sees this, this ladder or, or this staircase going up and down between heaven and earth. And the angels of God were going up and down on it. And he knew that the angels come from the presence of God. And the ladder went straight up to the center of heaven, right into God's presence. And that it was Jesus there who stood on top of the ladder, above the ladder, and Jacob awoke and realized that the Lord was in that place, and he was afraid he was in awe, and that this was the house of God. And he called the place Bethel, and he set up a marking there to mark the place that he had encountered God. But when the dream was over, of course that ladder, that ladder, was, was now no longer there. And here's the amazing thing. Here's what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, and here's what Jesus is saying to all of us. If you follow me, I'll be that link between the earth and heaven. You will see the heavens opened up, and you'll see the angels of God will be descending on the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man, remember from a couple weeks ago, that's that phrase, that's that title that we see back in the book of Daniel that, that, that talks of the one who has all authority over heaven and earth, the one who is on the throne. And so here we have again a pointer to Jesus, the one who has authority over the heavens and the earth. And Jesus promises his disciples, he's telling Nathanael and the disciples here that they would see the heavens opened up. And then this wasn't a dream, this was a promise. Jesus doesn't say here that I'm at the top of the ladder, work as hard as you can to come on up. He doesn't say that the angels are ascending up to the Son of Man. Now, how do we get up to the heavens? Well, he says the angels are ascending on the Son of Man. He doesn't say, I've set the ladder up. Do your best to climb up. What does he say? What he's saying here is, I am the ladder. Jesus is saying, I am the ladder. and This is incredible. Jesus says, I came to bring you to God. I came all the way down. I mean, this is the incarnation. Jesus became man. He lived the perfect life. He lived the life that you and I failed to live. The life that we should have lived. And then he died the death that we deserved. And he rose from the dead. And Jesus says, trust me. Trust me and you can come to God. Jesus was the latter. He is the one who bridges the great valley of sin That's created this this gulf, this valley between God and man. He's the bridge between heaven and earth. He's the ladder between heaven and earth. Jesus is saying, Nathaniel, you haven't seen anything yet. You've seen nothing yet. As you come and you follow me, as you enter into fellowship with me, as you enter into a relationship with me, you're going to see greater things than these. You're going to come into the very presence of God. And this is incredible. Oh, friend, if you're here and you don't yet know Christ, this is a promise to you if you follow him. If you turn from your sins, if you respond to him, Jesus becomes the way for you to be saved and the way for you to come to God. It's the only way. Now, on our own, there's no way we could ever make it up that ladder to God. God's holiness demands our perfection. Perfection. God's holiness demands our perfection. And none of us have lived even a perfect day, much less a perfect life. Well, how do we do this? Well, how are we saved? How does does Jesus become our ladder to God? Well, we believe. The Bible says we repent of our sins and we believe in Him to save us. You call Him the Son of God. You call Him the King of kings. You trust that he is the only way to God and that he's come all the way down to save you. And so friends, do you believe? Do you believe? Have you, have you followed Christ? Well, I know it's not an easy thing. And I know for some of you, following Christ means great difficulty. I'm not going to pretend that following Jesus is easy for any of us. It's hard. Jesus demands our everything. It often looks like these fishermen. It may mean leaving your job. It might mean leaving your family. It might mean being persecuted for Christ. It might mean losing everything that you have. And we need to know that following Jesus is no simple task. It means we leave behind all allegiances to the world to follow Christ. And it's going to be different for each of us, but oh Friends, oh church family, it is so worth it. There's nothing better than a personal relationship with Christ. He knows you. He understands us. He cares about us. He listens to us. He will never leave nor forsake us. He loves us perfectly. He's the one who made us. He made us to be in a relationship with him. That's why we were created That's why we were made in the first place. That's why when we seek after the things of the world, they will ultimately fail us because we were not made for the world, but we were made for Christ. And our hearts can only be full when we live in relationship with Him. Everything else is going to leave us empty. So friend, follow Him. Follow Him. There's a Savior who calls, but then a sinner must follow But then we see in our passage a third thing. Number three, a saint proclaims. That's the third thing we see. A saint proclaims. And by saint, I'm referring simply here to a believer. Not some special class of believers, but every believer everywhere. A sinner follows, but that's not all that they do. He or she can't help but proclaim Christ to others. A saint proclaims. Notice what we see in these passages. What's the first thing that Andrew does in verse 41? We first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Andrew immediately goes to his brother. He tells him the Messiah is here. The Messiah meant the promised deliverer, the one that they were waiting for, the one that the Old Testament pointed to. And Andrew goes straight to Peter. I love this. Brother goes to brother. Maybe you're a kid, tween, or even a youth in here, and you've had your share of battles with a sibling. Now, no need to confess right now. But perhaps there are times when you maybe fought over your side of the room or whether whether your sibling can borrow your stuff or whatever it may be. Maybe you're tempted to compete or to compare yourself with your siblings. That's why I love this here, because you have one man who immediately races to go tell his brother. Some of you maybe uh, don't have any siblings. You can think of a close friend. You can think of someone in your life. And you see here that the one closest to Andrew, his brother he immediately rushes to bring Peter to Jesus. I love this. And it's funny to me that Jesus gives him one look and just changes his name. How how would you like that? Just like that. Hey, you're Simon no more. You're Cephas. How would you like that? First time he meets him following Jesus may even mean giving up your name doesn't seem like Peter complains. Now he's following Jesus. Andrew became a personal evangelist and goes to the one closest to him first. And notice what he did. He shares his testimony. Verse 41, we found the Messiah. He's here. He tells Peter what happened. He brings Peter to seek Christ. Now, do you notice this fellow Christian? Perhaps the best opportunity for ministry that we have is to share the story of our experience of salvation and then point them to Christ, to point them to Jesus, to point them to, 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 to Jesus and to share the story of how we first encountered Jesus. Well, these first disciples, they were amazed at Jesus the Nazarene. They were standing amazed in the presence of Jesus. That's why I love our baptism testimonies. I love when we get to hear stories of how men, women, teens have been changed by the gospel. Because we get to hear about how people came to know Christ. And it almost always involves one person telling another person or several people sharing their testimony and the gospel to that person that eventually, by the power of the Spirit, saves them. I mean, notice that many who come to Jesus in this chapter come because of someone else's witness. John the Baptist proclaims Christ to Andrew and John. Then Andrew tells Peter. And then notice that later Philip goes to tell Nathaniel. This is the way the gospel spreads. You heard because someone told you the story of the gospel. Maybe a friend, a family member, a pastor. New followers of Jesus bearing witness to others who in turn become disciples, tell somebody else, and they tell somebody else, and they tell somebody else, and that process just keeps repeating itself on down through history. You know, a while ago, it was common in some places, I know in in my home country, where people We're doing all kinds of research on their ancestry. So you could get a packet. You could send in some DNA. You could send it in and find what percentage uh, your ethnicity was from this country or this place or that place. And you get a whole chart and you find yourself 4% from this place and 20% back to this place. And it's all neat and amazing. But wouldn't it be amazing if we could do that for our Christian faith? If you could trace it back, if we could trace the ancestry of our Christian faith, meaning for me, I had my friend John Dyer here with us a year and a half ago to speak on technology. John led me to faith back when we were university students. I wonder if I could just trace back to the person who led John to faith and the person who led that person to faith and the person who led that person to faith and the person who led that person to faith. I just imagined this week, if anyone in that spiritual genealogy broke the chain, the whole thing would just fall apart. And if we go through the family chain of any of us, eventually, you know what? Eventually, all of it, all of our family trees would go back to these first disciples who first shared their faith and spread the gospel. And I'm sure another thing about these spiritual family trees that we would all share in common is this, that the Lord can use anyone to share their faith. That our spiritual family trees would be filled with just common people, just ordinary individuals. And the Lord can use anyone. Think of these first disciples here. Who were they? Who were the very first five that Jesus pursued? Well, most of them, they're they're fishermen, They're fishermen from the same small village in the insignificant region of Galilee, doing an ordinary job. Now, Jesus can take anyone. He can transform anyone into men and women who can change the world. He takes nothings. He takes nobodies. John the Baptist, think about him. He was a unique person, right? He wore camel's hair, and his meals were locusts and honey. And think of these men here in this group of disciples. No priests, no Pharisees, no Sadducees, no scribes. Rather humble fishermen. These are the first preachers, the first missionaries, the first church planters. He can use each of us to tell of the glories of Christ. And so church, Redeemer Church, go ahead. Go ahead and tell. Go ahead and tell of Jesus. Invite them to come and see Now, who in your life do you need to do this for? Is it an actual brother, like Andrew and Peter? Is it a family member? Is it a coworker, a neighbor, a friend? Now, when we see a beautiful sunset in the sky, what do we do? Well, we marvel at it, but we long to share it with someone. We want someone else to, 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 to see it. And so you grab someone and you look at that sunset together. I remember one time years ago when our family was visiting Ireland and the, uh, it had just rained, a big rainstorm, and the sun had come out after the rainstorm, and my son Judson was looking out the window. He was a little little boy at the time, and he looks out the window and he sees the most amazing double rainbow now it's amazing for Akita who grew up in Dubai. He had never seen a rainbow before. And so he screams out uh, to us to come and see what he was looking at. And so we all came running and rushing out to the window to look outside. And we all discovered this beautiful double rainbow that was full from one side to the other side of the, the sky. And so then we ran outside chasing this rainbow to try to get the best view of it. It was a delight. Oh, friends, when we witness something so amazing, we can't help but shout it out to everyone around us. We want to share it with others. Full double rainbows in Ireland are amazing. But there's nothing more beautiful than Jesus. Jesus is better. Jesus is far better. When we meet Jesus, he's the most exciting reality in our lives. Jesus is better. He is better than all things. Oh, friends, are you excited about Jesus? Does Jesus excite you? Does having a personal relationship with the Savior of the world, the one who created you and the one who saved you, does that excite you? You know, Professor D.A. Carson once was speaking, I think to us here in the class, he, uh, speaking of a teacher, he said that your students, those that you teach, are going to be most excited about what you're excited about as a teacher. That your excitement is going to rub off on the students. I think the same is true for the people around us. What do people in your life think you're excited about? Oh, parents, what do you talk to your children about? What do they see you excited about? Roommates, what do you stay up late talking about? What about with your coworkers? Do people know that Jesus is the most exciting person in your life? Do they know that? Do they see that? Do they have any idea that that's the case? Are you calling on others to follow Jesus? I once heard someone say a true disciple is not content to go to heaven without others. Now, church, let's be a community who invites others on this journey of the Christian life. Invite others to come and see Jesus. Invite others to come and see our community. Tell them you found the Messiah. Tell them you found the Savior. Tell them you found the true meaning of life. And if you feel intimidated or you think you don't know all the answers, maybe you feel ill-equipped to share your faith. Maybe you feel nervous. You wonder, are they going to ask me a question that I can't answer? Are they, are they, what, 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 if I, what if I fumble the words? What if I'm not clear with sharing the gospel? Maybe, maybe you're here and you're in school. You're, you're a teenager and you're worried about sharing with another classmate or friend because you, you just don't know if you're going to have the right words. Well, look at these men. Look at these men here. They testified of Christ the first day they met him. Did you see that? The first day they met him, they testified of him. They hadn't gone through GTS yet. They had no Gulf Theological Seminary degrees awarded. There was no graduation. It was literally their first day of training, first day meeting Jesus. And they go and they tell and they share. They s- just see Jesus and they, they've got to go tell others about Jesus. And that's it. They weren't academics, they were fishermen, men without influence, or so one would think. Well, Jesus uses humble people, the unknown, the powerless, and the weak. That's how the kingdom of God grows. He uses absolute nobodies to share about a Messiah who looked like a nobody, but was the greatest person to ever walk on the earth, the God man himself. Friends, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's better than anything this world has to offer. Let's proclaim Him to the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your love and care for us. We thank You for sending Your beloved Son, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. We pray that we would see that Jesus is better than everything this world has to offer and that we would proclaim His name to the outermost parts of the earth.